welcome to the Forecast F1 podcast brought to you by Samantha Horvath and myself, Anton de Vries. And we're recording right after the Jeddah Grand Prix. And I think we have a lot to discuss, don't we? Oh, we certainly do. I feel like I have whiplash after the last few hours. <laughs> yeah, it's been very intense. Very Has intense. It? Yeah. 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 So why don't we start again like we did previously with talking a little bit about the about the track? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, well, this year or this uh, second race on the calendar took place at the Jeddah Corniche circuit. It is the fastest street circuit on the calendar this year. And it's a physically demanding circuit for the drivers. That's There's no doubt about that. I would also mention the fact that there was some modifications that took place this year, uh, specifically for the safety and also to increase the driver's visibility on the track. And we also saw the relocation of the third DRS zone, which was uh, something something that was interesting, in I guess, for them specifically so that they're not playing chicken where they were <laughs> before in previous years with the DRS zone starting at the beginning of that turn. I had my doubts in the beginning whether that would actually result into any difference because this, the DRS trade is still going to be there. I thought people were just going to wait still until they have the, the detection point right after corner 27. So they would still chicken until that part and just chicken until the new place where the DRS detection point is, but uh, actually didn't end up that way. Um, other than that, uh, I think uh, it would be good to mention the exact changes to the circuit. So mm -hmm. I think it was at turn 22 and 23 where they've tightened the circuit a little bit and that made sure that uh, the cars go well into turn 22. They on average lose about 50 kilometers an hour compared to what the track was previously. Um, and then it was in turn 14 and at turn 20 where they've moved the wall slightly about five meters so that there's a little bit more visibility into the corners ahead after those. So those walls were moved on either side of the track and um, be good to actually hear what drivers thought about that. I didn't hear too many responses, but I think in general, the idea of creating a little bit better vision, I think that's one of the downsides of this track. It's a really cool track, but uh, visibility is not that great. Completely agree with you. It it was always hair raising over the last two uh, races that took place previous to this one, watching them come around specifically those turns. I would say actually on turn 22, the outside curb, I mean, in that area leading up to turn 22, it's, it's definitely a high speed zone. So once you enter that turn, we were seeing some drivers have some complications, right? Going over that curb, you know, seeing a little bit of damage underneath the car. So I, I would like to touch on that fact that you had mentioned it's interesting or it would have been interesting to hear what some of the drivers would have said, because I do think that it definitely improved the visibility and hopefully the safety, which is first and foremost. But those curbs, they definitely played a factor, especially during practice and qualifying. Yeah, sure. You saw all drivers testing out how far, what would be the limit, what would be the edge. And yeah, so a lot of, so yeah, uh, just right after the apex of 22, that curb on turn 23, that was, yeah, that was the playing game for all of them. Absolutely. It was. I think other than that, it's also good to mention that this circuit compared to uh, the previous race has a much smoother asphalt. So 
I think that's also one of the reasons why Pirelli chose to go for one compound softer. They went for C2, C3, C4. Yeah, that's a very important part. This track did have, uh, I mean, the tires played such a huge part. We definitely saw during the race as well. But yes, different different track uh, surface for sure that played a part. And I, and I recognize that as well with the tires, the difference that they had chosen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, there was a lot less degradation than you saw in Bahrain. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess if you want to move on from the uh, track itself, I just want to highlight there were also speaking of modifications, there was a there were several different changes that took place with specific teams and their cars themselves. So I just wanted to touch a bit on that. That was leading up to qualifying. So we I guess we should suggest start with Ferrari, right? Uh, Leclerc obviously took a 10 grid place penalty because he did receive his third electronic unit change. Uh, interestingly enough, Signs also had an electronic unit change as well, but they had said that it was for precaution. Uh, but again, 10 grid place penalty, which plays a huge factor in terms of his race and where he placed going into it. And uh, we also saw, I would say, there was definitely a struggle with Ferrari during practices, during FP1, FP2, FP3. What would you think? Yeah, I think during free practice one and two, Ferrari wasn't looking great. And then I thought they might catch up a little bit on free practice three, but they were also a little bit disappointing. On the other hand, of course, the only real representative practices session is the is the second one because it's taking place at the same time as the qualifying and the race. So the other two are at a time when conditions are very different from the actual race. So I think on these night races, similar to what we saw at Bahrain, it's very difficult to size up on the teams during free practice and have a good idea where, where all the teams stand, which on the other hand also makes it a little bit more exciting for us because we don't know what to expect exactly. Yeah, you make a very good point. I mean, the times of the day can be so impactful in terms of the performance. And because these are night races, there's so many things that you can account for uh, or that you may not necessarily account for in comparison to the daytime. So, yes, in a sense, there is maybe uh, a hope that they are going to leading into qualifying, that they were going to do better. Uh, but there, I feel like in the back of at least my mind, there was still this slight concern especially given the fact that this is the third change for Leclerc. I'm starting to wonder if there is something that they're struggling with specifically with that area. But we will we will discuss once we get into qualifying their results. Um, did you have something else you wanted to add? Well, prior to qualifying, I just wanted to go over the other changes that... So you mentioned Ferrari and their electronic control unit. But I think they also both changed their power unit, both Ferraris, and so did De Vries. He also changed his power unit. Yes, he uh, did. Verstappen changed his gearbox, and Red Bull said that that was actually a planned change just to have the second gearbox in the pool. But uh, there were quite a couple of changes of, of, of elements already, which, well, it's only a second race of the season. Yeah, I think for Max, I believe that gearbox that they changed was actually the gearbox that he used in Bahrain uh, that they put into his car, if my if I'm correct. And um, I would say also another team that had was experimenting with things was Williams. It looks like they were experimenting with aerodynamic adjustments in Albin's car as well. 
just trying to obviously increase their top speed. And I believe also McLaren. I, I Norris, I believe, had uh, some internal combustion engine components added to his car as well prior to qualifying. All right, so let's move into qualifying then. Let's move into it. Okay, so going into qualifying, coming in, securing pole position, Sergio Perez, and coming into P2 was Leclerc. However, he did drop the 10 places uh, because of the penalty that he served so or faced. So technically, Alonso actually was starting from the front row. So I was really excited to see that uh, and see where that was going to go into the race Going into, starting from third, from P3, was Russell. He followed behind. And I would mention the fact that Max looked really strong. I mean, it was expected that he was going to secure pole. However, he did suffer a drive shaft issue during Q2, which resulted in him starting from P15. Anton, is there any other ones that you want to highlight here during qualifying? Well, besides those that you've already mentioned, I think actually Q1 was quite hectic where, well, we saw Sargent going in all different sort of directions. Uh, Norris didn't set a time because he kissed the wall, and then the team couldn't prepare his car on time to go out again. And yeah, uh, Hülkenberg had a good lap time that was deleted. Uh, then Gasly just kicked him out. And Sainz also showed that he can perform under pressure. He had, uh, he had to set a good lap, and he did. Um, it was a good qualifying in general to look at, I think. And uh, like you said, I think everybody was expecting Verstappen to take pole. And because of his drive shaft issue, then all of a sudden qualifying all became a lot more interesting to watch. And I think a lot of people were interesting to see whether Alonso could uh, could take it away from Perez. But, uh, but in the end, Perez showed that the Red Bull was just pretty far ahead of, of the rest of the field. And... Um, yeah, I guess Leclerc, while well, he said it in an interview, I think afterwards he was, on the one hand, upbeat about his performance in qualifying. But uh, yeah, with that 10 grid penalty so early in the season, it's hard to really <laughs> have a big smile on your face, I guess. And I would have expected Sainz to capitalize a little bit more on, on the whole situation with Leclerc. But, uh, but yeah, his qualifying, although he was all right in Q1 and Q2, he should have performed a little bit better in Q3. I think I think there was room for doing a little bit better. Having a Mercedes in front of you with the speed that the Ferrari has. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think that this track, there was expectations going in that Ferrari was going to be quite strong because they do excel in the top speed. So I thought the same thing. I thought going into Q3 that we were hopeful that Sainz was going to do a little bit better than he did. I would also say when it comes to Perez, he does have experience achieving pole on this track, as last year he did secure pole position. So I was expecting him to do well, and obviously he came through for his team, given the fact that Max was struggling and was unable to secure it. So for Red Bull, that was a that was obviously a great recovery for them to have one of their drivers securing pole position going into Sunday.
race. Final results. I'm just going to go over the podium because a lot took place today. So let's start with the podium and then we'll expand on that. So uh, securing P1 was Perez, who had quite an impressive race in terms of speed. I mean, he did at one point... Alonso did take it away from him at the very beginning, which was quite exciting, but he did manage to secure his position back and he maintained it throughout the majority of the race. Uh, coming into P2 was Verstappen. Impressive, of course, but we didn't expect anything less, right? He started from P15, he managed to get to P2, and he also took fastest lap. And then coming in at P3 is Alonso, which... We will obviously discuss in more detail because <laughs> there's a lot to discuss about that. Okay, so with those results, that also means that this is the second race with a Red Bull 1-2 finish. So again, Red Bull strong. Anton, what are your thoughts? Well, in general, Perez had a good race. He managed it well, uh, starting P1 and then having your teammates start P15. I think you're obliged to take it home and... It was interesting to see once Verstappen got into second position, how they managed to the gap. Uh, I think initially it was about five and a half seconds. It went down to about five seconds. It went down to four and a half, but it was always a little bit between that. And it was funny you mentioned that taking uh, the fastest lap away from, from Paris, because I think you saw at the post-race interviews when Coulthard was interviewing Perez that that was the, the very moment when he found out that fastest lap was taken away from him and they talked a little bit about it afterwards. Um, but uh, I, th I think Perez wasn't very pleased with that. But in the end, that's just, well, that's racing for you. And then, I mean, in the end, Verstappen has all the right to uh, to take that point and, and stay in first place in the World Championship. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's it we've the history with max is that he never he never takes his foot off the gas so to speak he is always going it doesn't matter who's in front of him so i wouldn't have expected anything less that he would have uh, made it an important decided to maintain a specific speed i would imagine and especially like you were saying as the time decreased in between the two of them that he was just going to go full throttle until the very end but the interesting thing was that I think the radio messages towards both drivers were slightly different. So I think you could hear during the race that Perez was told to to keep certain lap times. And when he asked about fastest lap, he wasn't really given an answer. And apparently Max was given an answer in the end, because that's basically what you could conclude from them talking to each other after the race, where Max asked what the fastest lap was. And he was obviously being told and he could, um, well, he was free to go for it and took it but uh, yeah again I think that will that will be an interesting uh, debrief uh, topic for for that team oh I think it will be so what other things did you notice so do you want to go into the fast five yeah I think it's time <laughs> so what's what's your first fast <laughs> five that you've well I think that it's a good segue since we were talking about Red Bull to just highlight the pace of Red Bulls of the Red Bulls currently during FP3, for example, Max was one second ahead of the rest of the grid, which that time in itself is a massive gap. And yes, it's FP3. Yes, we, we discussed the fact that it is during a different time when it came to this track, uh, during a different time of day. 
but there's no denying the fact that these Red Bulls are clearly fast. Even when you see Max overtaking Hamilton during the race, uh, he just flew past him effortlessly. So it really begs the question going into the rest of the season, who is going to be able to compete with them? I think that obviously Ferrari still has some work to be done, Mercedes as well. Aston Martin is is proving to be quite effective at this point. But again, Red Bull is just so strong right now. No, you're right. If you start P15 and I think Verstappen was overtaking Russell for P3 at lap 23 and then overtook Alonso at lap 25 to take second place. So it only takes you half a race to rush through the field from 15 to second. That's that's yeah, that's pretty impressive. It absolutely was. Yeah, and I also think that it would be important to utilize an example of Leclerc. He had he began from P12, and so similarly, they were both starting behind, but Max made considerable advancements in a short period of time. Now, that's not to say that Leclerc did not find his ability to overtake, but he finished with a result of P7. So, again, I think that it's going to be really exciting to see the continued evolution of Red Bull throughout the season and also to see those teams that are able to try to compete with them as as the season progresses. Yeah, no, you're right. They went through the field uh, at a similar pace in the beginning, but Leclerc was also on the soft tire where Verstappen was on the medium. And I think it was only Hamilton and Sargent that started on the hard, which I thought was a bit of a risky strategy given that there's always a lot of chaos at Jeddah or the past two races we've seen that. So with an early safety car, um, that would have... <laughs> That would have been a very bad race for somebody starting on the hard, I think. But uh, but in the end, Carnage came a little bit later in the race. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I thought the exact same thing when it came to the strategy of the hards. When we're touching on Hamilton, you could see that he was clearly struggling uh, during the race while he was on hards. Now, he seemed to obviously improve once he switched to mediums. I believe at one point he was able to overtake signs as a result, but... I questioned that as well when it came to the hards starting off in Jeddah. And you could see as well other teams that had made that decision that were also experiencing a bit of a setback. Yeah, he he, he did. He When he was on the mediums, I think he, he overtook Leclerc on, um, for fifth position. But he, he didn't have a bad race after all, but um, he was also a bit, uh, well, out of the whole picture. Uh, I don't have any Hamilton moments for for my fast fives, do you? (laughs) No, I don't. No, No. I don't. Okay, so let's move on to the second fast five. Anton, what's yours? Well, I wanted to highlight the start that Alonso had. Um, I think after the quality result, both Perez and Alonso went to bed thinking about what what they could plan for for that first corner. Because it's a it's a pretty short runoff to the first turn uh, in Jeddah, but uh, but yeah, Perez again just like in Bahrain, he had a little bit of a sleepy start, and Alonso Alonso took the inside corner, and um, and that was for me, <laughs> it was a good way to start the race. It was very exciting. Oh, it definitely was. And then shortly after that, he was informed that he was going to receive a five-second penalty. And did you hear him on the radio, how calm he was about it? He just said, okay. And he just kept on going. So, 
Yeah, I definitely, that's a really great one to point out because he did have a fantastic start. Yeah, saying okay, not knowing what was ahead of him. <laughs> that's so true. That's so true. Okay, so let's move on to the third Fast Five. And the third Fast Five that I'd like to bring up is the two rookies, Logan Sargent and Oscar Piastri. Uh, so specifically with Logan, I felt like during qualifying the in Q1, he had an absolutely fantastic qualifying lap. He managed to finish and he managed to be, be, you know, end up in the top 10 during his first Q1 lap in a Williams. However, unfortunately, that time was deleted specifically on turn 27. The reason why is because on turn 27, there is a part, there's a pink area. And if any part of your tire touches that area, it your lap time is deleted. So Unfortunately for him, he wasn't able to really recuperate from that. However, it, it does beg the question that if he had managed to get through Q1, where could he have possibly progressed? Could he have possibly advanced into Q3? I don't know, but it's still quite impressive being as the fact that this is a qualifying lap in a Williams in his second race in F1. I would also say that he play, he managed to have a very effective, fantastic defense against the McLarens towards the end of the race. Uh, he managed to hold them off for quite a while. He also managed to hold off DeVries, who eventually overtook him. But I thought it was quite impressive. Yeah, it was impressive. And his qualifying was impressive too. Although, yeah, a bit of a rookie mistake to not be aware that you can't go over the line there. And then when pressure built, because he still had a lot of time. He set that lap at the very, very beginning of Q1, so he still had time, but then was under a bit more pressure, and he actually spun, uh, although I, it was actually quite um, impressive how he didn't run into the wall, but actually kept it too. out. He kept <laughs> it out of the wall, and then I think he still had time to go out, but he, he, he messed up again, so a little bit of Rookie in experience, but on the other hand, like you said, uh, showing a lot of talent, showing potential. So uh, it was good to see. And yeah, that fight at the back of the race there, uh, that was that was good. That was a good watch, actually. Yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of uh, handling the pressure. You could see that after that, he struggled to be able to put to put another fantastic lap in. And yes, rookie mistake. But again, I think that going back into seeing some shining moments from him in Bahrain, seeing some shining moments here in Jeddah, it it does offer potential. And if he can expand on that potential, I think that he can do very well. I would say also going into the second rookie, just to mention, is Oscar Piastri. Leading into this season, obviously, there was a lot of hype building up on Oscar. And we still have a lot of a lot of time to see what he does. But I thought that it was really, really great to see him enter into Q3. And he actually finished just below Hamilton. He Hamilton just sneaked past him in terms of Q3. So the fact that he is in a McLaren, which is already, as we know, a challenge at this point, and he was able to maximize his potential in that car, finishing Q3 on the grid for Sunday, I thought that was something definitely that we can focus upon. Okay, and then into the race, he obviously had a little bit of a difficult start. He did make contact with Gasly. It resulted in him having a front wing replacement. However, I would say that going back to his battle with Sargent, 
with Norris and even DeVries, but specifically Sargent and Norris, he managed to get past Norris towards the end of the race. And in the last lap, he overtook Sargent. So the fact that he was able to make as much as he could out of what he was dealing with in a very difficult race for McLaren in general, overtake his teammate, manage to end up in Q3 and qualifying. I think it's definitely, again, another rookie that has potential, but I also feel like he is really, it's going to be really interesting to see how he develops over this year, especially the dynamic between him and Norris as the season progresses. Because if he is in a position where he is performing at the same level as Lando, if not better, I wonder how that dynamic is going to play out as the season continues on. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see at times when the the better teams are going to drop a couple of races here and there. I mean, it's not it's not faultless in these teams either. I mean, if you hear uh, what Verstappen was complaining about noises towards the end of the race in his car, you saw Ferrari again on strategy. They're just they're just not on top of it when you hear when you hear Leclerc complaining about them not informing that Hamilton was pitting so that he would have if he would have known obviously he would have sped up and made sure that that Hamilton would have got out of the pits behind him and he was I think he was quite pissed off over the radio and you know there's going to be times when these teams are going to make mistakes and and then it's it will be very interesting to see which which of the teams that are at the back of the grid now and unfortunately, McLaren is, is one of them. But it's, it's going to be very interesting to see which drivers are going to take advantage of that and, and take a few points. Because so far, there's not been many points up for grabs for these teams in the first two races. But there's going to be times when, when these things are different. Yeah, it's a very good point. So another fast five moment that I wrote down. And um, yeah, we're, we're going back on Aston Martin. But uh, even though Stroll was out of the race pretty early, uh, but at the very end, I don't know exactly which lap it was, but I think it might have been on the very opening lap when Stroll overtook Sainz on the outside uh, of a turn. And, and I thought that, well, here's really showing that uh, Aston Martin actually might really have the second car of the grid at this, at this point of the season. And um well for me even though it was just one single overtake but uh but yeah that was exciting to see unfortunately stroll didn't end up uh, having a very good race he had to retire but um but but it was showing potential yeah i thought that 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 was a really great overtake that he had it was it was quite exciting and he was capitalizing definitely from the start uh he did seem to struggle a little bit in pace as time wore on but like you said, he ended up with, I believe it was a power failure or an engine failure, but unfortunately we weren't able to see what he could have made from that race. But I still think that he would have had a lot of potential to do well. And as for Aston Martin, they currently are in second in the constructors. I know that it's only two races in, but who would have thought going into this season that you would be talking about the fact that Aston Martin was second ahead of Ferrari and Mercedes? But going back to the stroll retirement, didn't you think it was slightly odd that they didn't turn into a virtual safety car, but in an actual <laughs> safety car? You took that question. Oh, I was literally going to ask you the exact same thing. And yes, I 100% thought it was odd. I assumed it was going to be a virtual safety car because he wasn't anywhere on the track. So the moment that they decided to change that, I was a little surprised. 
Yeah, I really think it should. Look, I'm not the biggest fan of virtual safety cars, but I do think it should have been a virtual safety car. I think it wasn't very fair towards Perez because he really lost. He had built up quite a gap already, which he completely lost because of it. And there wasn't too much reason to really bring in that safety car. But all right, they did. And Perez in the end managed to win it. So I don't think he'll lose too much sleep over it now. But uh, but yeah, I was surprised at the time. Okay, so... I can't remember, to be honest with you, we do Fast Five and I don't even know. Are we at the fifth one? I have no idea, but just go ahead. <laughs> okay. okay, so I am going to uh, highlight the elephant in the room, the, the FIA and Alonzo situation. I will mention personally that you and I were going to do the podcast much earlier However, we were sitting here after we had realized that there was the potential for Alonso to regain his podium, and we were just waiting for an outcome before we were able to actually come on here and start the podcast. But I'm glad that we have a decision, so let's get into that. Uh, first of all, I would just mention that initially Alonso received a five-second penalty that he did have to serve for being out of the starting position, so he was slightly to the left, um, and when he went to go serve that five-second penalty, which was, interestingly enough, during the safety car of Stroll, the rear jack touched the car. So that was where they felt, the FIA felt, that he needed to be handed a 10-second penalty. But where it gets interesting is that they did not deliver this information to Aston Martin or hand that penalty until he had left the podium and received his P3 finish. So... Moving forward, obviously, Aston Martin had decided to appeal that, and the decision was overturned. He regained P3 position, which is great. I thought deservedly so. But I think that, more importantly, the conversation should center around that decision as a whole. And when it comes to basically determining what constitutes as working when it comes to delivering that penalty, and I'll elaborate. So, Basically, the FIA in that specific penalty state that whilst a car is stationary in the pit lane as a result of incurring a penalty, it may not be worked on until the car has been stationary for the duration of the penalty. So again, what constitutes as working? That rear jack mechanic had touched the back of the car with the rear jack, but there was no actual work being made on being done on the car during that five second penalty. So this is where Aston Martin had decided to appeal that decision because they had provided seven examples where cars were touched by the jack wheel similar uh, when serving a penalty. And it was that those examples themselves that were the reasoning for the decision to be overturned. I guess when it came to the FIA, they had decided that, yes, it does not constitute as working. So, Anton, what are your thoughts on this? Well, all I'm thinking is that what I'd like to see is some consistency. So I thought that the teams had met before the start of the year and agreed that a mechanic should not even or no tools should touch any of the cars during the serving of the penalty. So if they overturn this, which is all right, uh, but then going back to Bahrain, then, you know, with Ocon, it was also just a mechanic touching the car with a tool. So should that also still be taken back those 10 seconds that Ocon got? You know, all in all, I think you have to set rules and you have to stick by them. So all I would like to see is some consistency. What I didn't understand is that with Ocon, they were able to to inform everyone 
two laps after the fact. And with Alonso, it was so much. Uh, so I think they only they're only allowed to take a decision within the first 30 laps after the incident has taken place. And then after the decision, they need to communicate the decision within 25 minutes. And they definitely, if you add up the time frames between Alonso being in the pits, which was on lap 19, so at 30 laps, you're at 49. And then when they actually informed that it was far after the finish, I think about 35 minutes after. So all of that doesn't add up. I just don't understand why there was such a difference in terms of communication between Bahrain and Saudi. But for all that matters is that I'm happy to see Alonso on the podium. Well, we've seen him on the podium regardless, but I'm, I'm happy that he can take that place and keep that place. And I think also, uh, even though Russell had a decent qualifying and a decent race, uh, I think Russell will also, well, obviously, he'll be a little bit disappointed in having heard that he was third for a while. But um, I think it's just to have that position for Alonso. Yeah, and securing that position for Alonso also secured his 100th podium, which is an impressive feat to be able to achieve. I would also say for myself, I, I believe that more importantly, there because rules are important, I completely agree with you. They're there for a reason. However, I think that what this will obviously continue into a more expanded conversation in terms of how to apply those rules. If there is a better, more effective way to have an application of rules specifically with this entire situation, I think that is something where we can still be able to honor the rule that's in place, but be able to maintain and truly define what classifies as that penalty to be given. So actually, I'll just mention, because when we were still waiting for the result, uh, I was following a few opinions or or constructive criticisms, let's just say. And Will Buxton made a really uh, actually interesting uh, suggestion. And again, these are things that maybe could be considered or expanded upon in terms of how do we move forward to ensure things like this don't happen again. So I'll just mention it. He had stated, perhaps create a marked box one meter outside the car's marks in the pit lane. Teams must stay outside this box. When the car comes to a stop, an FIA representative hits a start button, time runs out, a light on the gantry goes green, teams can move inside the one meter box. Now, that's not to say that this is this is something that should be implemented. But the fact of the matter is, is that I do think that it's going to hopefully spark a conversation and a more efficient method to ensuring that they are properly monitoring the time so that teams or drivers like Alonso don't run into this situation. We're not sitting in murky waters. Like you said, you know, Ocon obviously had a really challenging weekend in Bahrain with a series of penalties. So moving forward, I think there just needs to be more of a definitive, efficient application. Yeah, I'm all in favor of what Will is saying there. I think that that would be that would be clearing up a lot of smoke that is hanging around this Part of that. It's funny that you know you actually never really see this very much. But then, in during the first two races of the season, we've had two incidents which are very, very similar uh, with Ocon and Alonso. So I think it's time to to bring it up and and see what we can do about those rules because it's just it it should be something that we can apply consistently. I agree, and I hope so. I hope that that happens. Okay, so. We don't know whether we've done five. So, Anton, I is actually there anything might have a, else? Yeah, I do have a sixth, I think. <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to highlight just 
shortly that little battle that uh, Magnussen and Tsunoda had over taking P10. So I think it was lap 46, 47 towards the end. And um, they both, they had into turn one and they both had a lock up and then Magnussen overtook Tsunoda on the inside, uh, I think on the second turn. And uh, yeah, I think, I think both of those drivers would have deserved a point. Actually, Tsunoda finished P11 as well. And I think both Alpha Tauris actually finished in the same position, both in Bahrain and in Saudi. So that was P11 for Tsunoda twice and P14 for De Vries twice. So Tsunoda would have deserved a point, but uh, it was also it was also interesting uh, to see Ahas fighting for it and grabbing it. So I think that uh, that gives some hope to that team too. Yeah, they were they were battling it out for several laps. It was it was definitely fun to watch. And for Yuki, I believe it was there was four laps remaining when Magnuson took that. So obviously a disappointing re- feeling probably for Yuki. He did express that on the radio, but that is Yuki. He's very expressive on the radio, as we know. But great for Haas to be able to gain their first point for the season. So let's go into the scores of Forecast F1 for this weekend. And as Samantha was saying, we had to wait a little bit and see who would officially score the points for P3 to also see what the outcome would be for our competition. The only thing I can say is that if Russell would have taken P3, the winner of this weekend would have still be the same. So in that regard, there was one person um, who didn't really have to wait for it. And that was... Lucas Arnone from Spain, and he scored, well, actually, the amount of points that he would score with P3 Russell would have been slightly less, so he actually had uh, Alonso in the correct place. He also had uh, Verstappen on P2 and Perez winning the race, and he scored 90.3 points. So actually, given that our top score for the whole of last year was 92 points, uh, Lucas actually came really, really close to beating that score of Andrew Berger that's still set as the highest forecast F1 score set ever, but he just slightly missed it. Then the second place went to Eri Halili from Albania with 80.5 points. And then third place on the podium was taken by Swacha Ahmad from Bangladesh with 78.8 points. Well, that's fantastic. And especially predicting Perez in uh, winning the race and Verstappen coming in second. That's a bold prediction, I think, going into this race, because although Perez did secure pole last year, I mean, Verstappen's pace is just incredible. So well done. Yeah, obviously, at the time of setting your prediction, nobody knew what would happen with Verstappen during qualifying. So how many people do you actually think had Perez predicted as the winner of this race? I'm going to say 15. Well, about double that. So there were 32 people. Actually, we didn't mention that the amount of people playing this weekend was 457 people. And yeah, 32 people had Perez on P1. And 
How many people do you think had Verstappen on P2? I'm going to say less than I'm going to say less than what I originally predicted of 15. I'm going to say 7. Okay, there were actually 41 people who had that. Oh my I guess, gosh. <laughs> I, I guess everybody who had somebody else then Verstappen on P1 put him on PT, P, P2. I'm actually going to check that for you. So it's not exactly true. There were 66 people who had somebody else then Verstappen predicted on, on P1. And yeah, out of those 66, there were 41 who had uh, who had Verstappen then on P2. So so then going to Alonso, how many people do you think had Alonso? Uh, well, how many people do you think had Alonso on the podium to begin with? Okay, I think this is going to be fairly high given his results uh, previously. So I'm going to say out of 457 people, I am going to say 295 people chose Alonso to be on the podium. Well, you got very close there. It was 278. Oh, okay. And then actually 163 people had him on P3. Including myself. <laughs> So that was 163 people being very happy to see that he got reinstated for P3. Um, I was one of the people who had him on P4, actually. Uh, so, so yeah, I felt slightly less good about it. But then again, I was very happy to see Alonso there on the podium. So, yeah, there were 108 people who had him actually predicted in P4. I would just like to go back also and mention the fact that there was a lot more people that did interestingly enough, choose Verstappen in P2. And here I was thinking that it was quite a bold prediction, and it was. So the fact that so many people had chosen Verstappen to finish in P2, I mean, they, they obviously had their pulse on, on, uh, on the future. So how many people do you think have predicted that Verstappen would take that fastest lap? I'm going to say quite a few. I will say 225. It was 251, so you got closed there again. Close again? Okay. So last one. I was going to ask you how many people do you think had the P10 for Magnussen predicted? Okay. I have to think about this one because I think I know a few people personally who chose Magnussen or who like to choose Magnussen in the 10, in P10, but I am going to go with 61. Far less, far less. There were only seventeen, <laughs> only seventeen people. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't that optimistic about that choice. I'm not going to lie. Well, anyway, so let's move on a little bit. So now that we've had uh, two races, we can also look a little bit at who's actually taking top place in the overall competition. So accumulative points. So adding the points from Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. So on first place, we have. Jose Familia from the Dominican Republic, who already has 144 points accumulated. He scored 73 points during Bahrain and 71 points here in Saudi. So he's on top right now. And he also was into the top 20 twice. So he actually was on P19, a shared P19 in Bahrain. And he now has a shared P8 in Saudi. So that's pretty impressive, making it to the top 20 twice. And then on second place, uh, Joaquin Caballero from Spain has 143 points, 78 in Bahrain, 65 here in Saudi. And he took P5 during the Bahrain race. And then in third place, we have someone from Croatia, Franco Borjanic, 
and he has 140 points accumulated. 78 in Bahrain, 62 in Saudi. So that's what the competition looks like right now. Starting very, very strong. Great, great uh, results to all three of you. And with these scores, we also now have a new high score that was set during Saudi by Lucas Arnone, and that made him also beat the high scores in Europe. And high scores in the top score in Asia and in Oceania were also beaten during this weekend. Very, very nice. Yeah, other than that, I don't have much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I think that wraps it up for the high scores and how everyone did this weekend. And we can move forward and look forward to the Australian Grand Prix, which is going to take place March 31st weekend. Anton, what are your thoughts going into this? In the end, hopefully it will be sooner than we know. And before we know it, we're watching FP1 again. Well, you and I are in the same time zone. So just remember, for those of you that are in Eastern Standard Time Zone, 2 a.m. is when qualifying is going to be 1 a.m. is the race, so I think you and I are not really going to have much sleep during that weekend. We'll see about that. That's that's the least of our worries. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, I think that wraps it up. So it's been a very exciting weekend, and we look forward to March 31st in Australia. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.